Hello everybody. Um, tonight, uh, Ovid is not feeling well, so if you could just keep uh, him in your prayers. Uh, he said he, he mentioned he caught the, the crud. I think that's deep south for the flu. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we are going to be doing a Bible study tonight from Lewisburg. So, uh, we're in part four of a series uh, titled Spiritual Gifts. And if you're tuning in for the first time, we welcome you uh, for joining us. Um, we encourage you to grab uh, your Bible or a iPad, whatever it is, uh, device so that you can follow along uh, with us. I uh, encourage you to jot down the scripture verses if you have a pen or a pencil. And uh, just to check those things out. I don't believe you should take anybody's word um, as it is. I think you need to... Trust but verify. And so tonight we're going to be diving into uh, prophecy. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, chap, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 has kind of been the launching pad for this series. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Turn to the next chapter. Let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Notice in verse 8, Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So as I said, we're in this um, study of spiritual gifts. And Paul tells us, that he would not have us be ignorant. The definition of ignorant means you don't know. It's lack of knowledge. You don't know something. And when it came to the spiritual gifts, the Corinthians were asking the Apostle Paul about these things. How do they operate? How do they work? What are their purpose? What do they do? And um, we've covered tongues over the past three um, sections. And we basically nailed down that tongue just means it's a, it's a language. I'm right now I'm speaking in the English tongue. If I was speaking in Spanish, it should be the Spanish tongue, in French, and so on. Um, and the tongues served as a sign for the Jew. Why? Because Jews require signs. Greeks seek after wisdom. Uh, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jew's stumbling block and to the Greek uh, foolishness. And we also established that there is a doctrine going around, um, glossolalia, which is basically babbling in an unknown tongue. You have no idea what it means. And that this is something that has been uh, really big within the Pentecostal movement. And so we established that it was a known language. Paul thanked God that he spoke in tongues more than anybody. Why? Uh, because he needed to further the gospel. That's the whole entire point of the spiritual gifts is that they were used to spread the gospel of Christ. Uh, we went, looked in the book of Acts where Paul was speaking in the Hebrew tongue. And then after he finished addressing the Hebrews, he switched back to the Greek. Well, he's speaking in multiple tongues. Hence why he thanked God that he spoke in them. Um, and so I really want to define tonight what prophecy is. So if you have your Bible or your device, I'm going to 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to read a couple verses here. Verses 1, 2, and 3. Oops. Something. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 
verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So prophecy, you are speaking to men and it's for edification. It's for exhorting, encouraging, for comfort, comforting uh, people through the scriptures. And I want you to hold this. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. What is prophecy? Prophecy, really, if I were to just define it in five words, it's speaking the words of God. That's what prophecy is. In Deuteronomy 18, we're going to start in verse 18. Uh, this is the Lord speaking. And he says in verse 18, I will raise them up a prophet among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? And then he explains the very next verse. When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but that prophet hath spoken presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. So right here, we define prophecy. It's God putting the words into a man's mouth to speak God's words. That's what a prophet is. And... Here, there are people that will prophesy things that God did not put in their mouths, but they will do it in His name. And if those things don't happen, that person's a false prophet. That's what the Word of God says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All this book that we're holding right here, God spoke these words. This is a book of prophecy, essentially. It's the Word of God. And so, right now, if I'm speaking the Word of God, these are God's words, that's what the Old Testament prophet was doing. So, uh, I want you to go to Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, and this kind of just touches on scriptures being the Word of God and what they do. And this is, this is all prophetic. And in Romans chapter 15 verse 4, Paul writes... For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So this ties in exactly with what we've been saying. When you use the gift of prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, you are edifying, you are exhorting, you are comforting those believers. And right here, Paul, through the scriptures, is saying all these things in the Old Testament that were written... These were for our learning so that, what does it say? That we through patience of comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So, 
When we look at true prophets, you can go all the way to Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, John the Baptist, Jesus and the Twelve, even Paul, by definition, were technically prophets. Because what were they doing? They were speaking the very words of God. And God told his prophets, write these things down in a book, which is what we have today. That's why Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. Even after seeing the transfiguration of Jesus, he said, look, this is more sure than me seeing Jesus Christ transfigure on the mount. And so, uh, I want you to look at examples of prophecy. God says these things through the mouth of the prophets. They're things that are going to happen. And God says, that thing which comes from my mouth, that's gonna, I'm going to accomplish it. So, Jesus Christ in Luke 18. We'll go there. Luke 18. Verse 31. In Luke 18, verse 31, Jesus says, Then he took unto them the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So, what Jesus is referencing here in the book of Luke, when Christ was in the flesh here 2,000 years ago, he says, Everything that was written concerning the Son of Man, what he's referring to is all of the Old Testament prophets that through the mouth of God, through the mouth of the prophets, spoke and said, hey, these things are going to happen regarding Jesus Christ. They were prophesying about the things that were going to happen, and now Jesus says, look, I'm going to accomplish them. And so you can go back and you can look in the Old Testament prophets. You can read about Zechariah and Isaiah and David, all referring to all these things of how Jesus Christ was going to die. They said, hey, look, I see um, that I'm going to smite the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Well, what happened? When Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross, they would put a blanket or a cloth over Jesus' head and what were they doing? They were punching him in the face saying, prophesy, who is it that is smote thee who is punching you in the face? They were mocking him. Well, that was an Old Testament prophecy spoken by the prophet saying this is going to happen. And there's all these things, the plucking out of Jesus' beard, the nailing his hands and feet, crucifying, piercing his hands and feet. Uh, even the way Jesus said how he was going to die. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me on the cross? All these things were prophesied back by the Old Testament prophets. These weren't something new. And Book of Hebrews says Jesus was the author and the finisher of our faith. He was literally crying and weeping. His blood was coming from his eyes because he knew about the things that were going to happen to him and how he would die. And it wasn't revealed until the Apostle Paul that why Christ did these things. It wasn't until the Apostle Paul that, we, that God said, I, I had delivered up my son Jesus Christ so that your sins might be forgiven. Before you were even born, all sins in the past, future, present, all paid on the cross at Calvary. And by you simply just believing it, just believing and receiving that truth, that's what seals you with that Holy Spirit of promise, you cannot lose your salvation because salvation is a gift. It is a free gift. And that is the mystery that was revealed to the Apostle Paul that we today, as body of Christ, are stewards of this mystery. And it's our responsibility to share this simple truth with others. So, um, 
it's very important for us to acknowledge that there are true prophets and there's false prophets. And the way that you can tell the difference between the two now is by the word of God. If what they're saying is contrary to what this book says, they're a false prophet. Okay? Um, now I want us to look at some examples of false prophets. Okay? So if you will, I'm going to go back to Deuteronomy 18. We were there earlier when God said he was going to rise up a prophet unto the nation of Israel. And in Deuteronomy 18... We're going to read a couple of verses, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12. Now, the context of this passage, Israel is going to come into the land uh, that was promised to Abraham, okay? And God is giving them some instructions. He's speaking to the children of Israel. When thou art come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, Thou shalt not learn to do after the abomination of those nations. So there's some things that these nations were doing that God wants Israel to not do, okay? And he's going to list what those things are. Verse 10, There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out before thee. So I want to break down some of what these things are, okay? Divination, observer of times, enchanter, witches. These things, you really break it down, what are they doing? These are people... That essentially, uh, you know, necromancer is a consulter of the dead. They consult dead spirits to speak to them. And usually a lot of these things are people are consulting people that have these familiar spirits to say, oh, I'm speaking to a, 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 a lost relative or whatnot. I want to know and hear how they're doing. Um, divination is essentially false prophets, Baal worshippers. Uh, we're going to get to that in a second. Um, but... Really what's happening is that the nations like Israel had people that they would go to and they'd want to hear what they want to hear foretelling, what's my future look like? Am I going to be prosperous? All these things. Am I going to marry this person? Am I going to get this job? Whatever. Um, so these things, what we just read, were abominations in, in God's eyes. Okay, For the most part, prophecy concerning the Lord God really was speaking as a, a concerning the nation of Israel, okay? I'll say that again. Usually, prophecy in this Old Testament or just in this Bible generally concerns the nation of Israel and what God is doing with them. Very rarely do you see it on an individual basis apart from the Lord Jesus Christ and the things about his life. And if it ever was about the individual, it was usually judgment against that king that was reigning over the children of Israel, and it wasn't really ever a good thing. Um, you can read in uh, 1 Samuel where the King Saul was consulting a familiar spirit, and what we just read, that was an abomination, okay? Um, and time and time again, you can read about the kings in the Old Testament uh, having prophets, which are not the prophets of the Lord, but prophets to speak what they want to hear, okay? Um, and 
we're going to look at an example of that. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 21. And in 1 Kings 21, we're dealing with the king of Israel. And they are consulting prophets that are not the prophet of prophets of the Lord. And let's take a look in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 17 through 19. Verse 17, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishabite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he gone down to possess it. And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak unto him, saying, Thus saith the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. So the word of God is coming to Elijah, the prophet, saying you need to speak these words, and it's basically prophesying about the king of Israel's death, Ahab. And in second, let's turn the page, go to the next chapter, in verse 5, now Ahab and Jehoshaphat, or verse 5, And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about four hundred men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramathagilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. So, four hundred prophets. This is not Elijah. These are his own prophets saying, Hey, yeah, go ahead. Uh, the Lord's going to deliver it into the hands of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord's besides that we might inquire of him? So he's immediately questioning, saying, Hey, where's the prophet of the Lord? And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah the son of Imlah, by whom we have inquired of the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. Isn't that a coincidence? He's talking about a prophet of the Lord and saying he doesn't speak good about me I don't want to hear his words he I, he just speaks evil of me I only want to hear good alright and that's usually what when you start seeing people operating in quote-unquote the gift of prophecy today it's usually centered around what people want to hear and not what this book says alright um, and verse 9, Then the king called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah the son of Imlah, bring that man of God to me. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied again before them. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to go through it, but essentially, Micaiah says, look, yeah, um, God sends a lying spirit because he wants him to go. I'll say it again. Let's, let's just read it so you don't take my word for it. Um, verse 14, And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. That's what prophecy is. What God puts in the mouth of the prophet to speak, the prophet speaks. That's true prophecy. Verse 15, So he came to the king, and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramagil... 
Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it unto the hand. I'm trying to get to the lying spirit. Uh, it's verse 20, I'm sorry, I, I got ahead of myself. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab, verse 20, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said unto this another, and another said on that manner. And there came forth the spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So right here, there's 400 prophets. God said, You know what? All right, I'm going to put this lying spirit in those 400 prophets' mouth to speak so that Ahab will go. And what does that do? That ends up fulfilling that prophecy that he spoke to Elijah, that the dogs are going to lick the blood from him. Okay? So, um, does any of this ring a bell with what Paul writes in his epistles? Absolutely. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is nearing the end of his apostleship. And uh, he's pretty much preparing Timothy to take the reins. And he gives some instructions to Timothy, okay? In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writes, I charge thee, Timothy, therefore before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word... Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So, Paul writes, there's going to come a time. This is prophetic right here. This is prophecy. That there's going to come a time where people will not endure sound doctrine. People will not endure the sound words of the Lord. They will not endure or adhere to the commandment of the Lord saying, The Apostle Paul is my apostle to the Gentiles, and I'm giving him commandments to the body of Christ, and people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear that you're saved by grace through faith. They don't want to hear that it's a free gift. They want to pump themselves up think that they can do their part and become righteous before God when the prophet Isaiah said our righteousness is filthy rags in the sight of God Almighty. But Christ solved that for us on the cross by shedding His blood for our sins. Where we have the forgiveness of sins and that there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. It's simply believing and trusting in Christ knowing that He paid for everything for us at Calvary. But... What's here saying to Timothy? Hey, there's going to be people that are going to essentially say what people want to hear. False prophets. The Word of God isn't good enough for me. I want to hear about my life and my financial status. And who am I going to marry? And should I have this job? And am I going to be prosperous? All these things. And don't get me wrong. I think there are people that think that they truly are doing the will of God. But... From what we're seeing in the scriptures, Satan can use these things. He can use them to create confusion, to completely lead people astray. And people don't give credit to this guy. They don't realize how powerful he is. So, 
I want you to see where God will send a strong delusion to people because they won't receive the truth. They don't love the truth. All right, God's like, all right, that's fine. I'll send you a strong delusion so you can believe that lie. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And in verse 11. Well, let's read um, verse, well, we'll read uh, verse from verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish. Why? Because there's a semicolon that's going to explain why they're perishing. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure and in righteousness. So the good news is you don't have to reject the truth. You don't have to completely turn away. All you got to do is believe it and receive it. And if you're having problems with it, I encourage you to play. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. That's a great prayer. So, false prophets of Baal, okay? I want you to see uh, how they operated in the Old Testament and how they're operating today. All right? So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18. And 1 Kings 18, we're going to read an account of the prophet Isaiah versus the prophets of the children of Israel and uh, what that looks like, okay? And in 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to be reading in verses 21 through 40. A lot of scripture tonight. Uh, 2 Kings 18, verse 21. Now behold, thou trustest upon the staff of the brute. Oh, wait a second. 1 Kings. I'm in the wrong Kings. First Kings 18, I apologize. Eighteen twenty-one, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long how ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then, Elijah unto, said, said unto, then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I, remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are four hundred and fifty men. And for the sake of time, I'm going to encourage you to go here and read 1 Kings 18, 21 through 40. And what happens is these 450 prophets come and they have a challenge. They basically set up a sacrifice. And the fire is supposed to come down from heaven and consume that sacrifice. And where the fire comes down, that person is the Lord, the God. Okay? And these 450 prophets basically set it up. They're dancing, they're cutting themselves to the point of blood, and nothing happens, even to the point where Elijah's mocking them. And then Elijah says, here, I'm going to rebuild the altar of the Lord, 
and he has them soak it in gallons and gallons of water and saying, ah, keep going, do it a third, fourth, fifth time. And what happens? The fire comes down and consumes the altar and everybody present falls in terror and repents, okay? And basically says, the Lord is the God. Now, why in the world am I taking time to talk about the prophets of Baal? Well, when you hear Baal, what that word means, you go and look at it in exchange, what it means, it means Lord, okay? Baal is just another word for Lord. Does that ring a bell with anything in Paul's epistles? Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3 and 4. But I fear, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. And you jump to verse 13, 14, and 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So, Baal was another word for God, for Lord. Baal worshippers. There's 450 prophets and there's one man. There are 450 prophets speaking lies that the children of Israel were believing. And you got one man speaking the word of God. Doesn't that ring true with a lot of what you see in the scripture? With You look at the flood. How many did God say? Eight. You look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. How many people follow Jesus? But when Jesus got to John chapter 6 and says, I am the bread of life. How many people all forsook Jesus right there? All but the 12. And then you get to when Christ went to Calvary. All the disciples fled. It amazes me how people uh, can take something so incredibly simple and make it so incredibly complicated. And that Satan thrives on the ignorance of the Word of God and uses people to do these things in God's name to basically deceive the masses. And if you're not in this book, you're not going to be able to tell. You're going to be able to be blind, leading the blind. You're going to be completely duped into thinking that you got to do things for your salvation. you got to do all these works rather than trusting in the gospel of Christ which is Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And you simply believing that, that's pleasing to God. That's all God is asking you today is to receive that truth. God wants all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. So you get saved by hearing the gospel, then you come into the knowledge of the word of the truth, the knowledge of the truth by studying his word. And I strongly encourage you to get yourself a King James Bible. There is a difference. I'm not going to get into that right now. So, there are true prophets of the Lord. All right here. You can read the Old Testament scriptures. Read all the, all, all the prophets. And you can read about John the Baptist, Jesus the Twelve, and Paul. Basically, 
I believe, were prophets because they were speaking the word of God. There, Paul's epistles completed that New Testament. And we read last week in the Revelation, you don't need to add or subtract anything from this book. It's complete. Okay? Uh, so, and by the way, what's the punishment of false prophets? You ever thought about that? Well, let's go look and see what the punishment for, our, for these false prophets are in, in the Old Testament. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 5. If there arise among you a prophet, or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet, or that dreamer of dreams. Why? For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and cleave unto him. And that prophet, or that dreamer, shall be put to death. Because he has spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Obviously, we're talking in the context dealing with the children of Israel. But today, thank God for grace, because if that were so today, man, there would be a lot of people wiped out. And we wouldn't have a lot of the problems that we're seeing with people being led astray by the millions. I'm talking hundreds and millions of people being duped into stuff that is not adhering to the Word of God. And they're ignoring Paul. They don't want any part of his gospel. They want to do all these things in the name of Jesus, cast out devils, prophesy in his name, speak in tongues. And they don't realize what we read earlier, that there's going to come a time where prophecy shall fail. Tongues shall cease. Why? Because when that which is perfect come, the rest will be done away. We have the perfect Word of God. So, um, why did they? Why did Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 encourage them to seek the gift of prophecy? Well, when you look at the timeline, so this timeline right here is the book of Acts. The first nine chapters, first really 12 chapters is dealing with Israel. And then finally in chapter 13, the apostle Paul takes the scene and the rest of Acts 13 through 28 is the ministry of Paul. And there's a significance uh, behind that. And we're talking about a 30-year period you can read when you at, read Acts 13 through 28. So when Paul, before he got to prison, was dealing with Romans and the Corinthians and the Galatians, he had not written Colossians, Philippians, uh, Ephesians, okay? He had not written those. It's not like he was at Corinth and said, Hey, Corinthians, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of works, not uh, lest any man should boast. I just completely butchered that. But the point being is, he, that he couldn't tell the Corinthians to turn to the Ephesians because it had not been written yet. So they needed the Word of God. They, they hadn't had it complete yet. They needed the Word of God to speak and build up the body of Christ. 
So, and that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 1 says, I will come unto visions and revelations of the Lord. So when he wrote that in the beginning, he's saying, look, I'm still receiving in this 30 year time period, I'm receiving all the things of the full revelation of the word of the Lord. And he saw things when he was caught up into paradise that were unlawful for him to speak. Well, it had not been revealed that the law of commandments and containing ordinances had been abolished in Christ's flesh yet. According to Ephesians chapter 2, it wasn't uh, revealed to him yet that God blotted out all the handwriting of ordinances, nailing them to the cross. But once it came, that was perfect, could come, there's no need for prophecy. If you want to hear the word of God, I'll say it again, I've said it before, you need to read open this Bible. And if you want to hear the voice of God, just Read it out loud so you can hear it because this is God's word. God's spoken word written for you in black and white in fifth grade English. And according to 2 Timothy 2.15, God wants you to study it by rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Um, so, let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 13. We read this before. I want to read it again one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there will be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. Well, they only know in part because they had not gotten the full revelation. Paul had not received it, and they were only prophesying in part. But when that which is perfect is come, when God gave Paul the dispensation of God to fulfill the word of God when he received the complete revelation. Then that which is in part shall be done away. Then the prophecy shall be done away. Then shall the tongues cease. Because the tongues were a sign for the Jews. Okay? Because Jews required signs. Um, when I take a look here. So, let's go to Colossians 1, 25. This is later in Paul's ministry. And in Colossians 1.25, Paul writes to the Colossians saying, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So to fulfill, what is to fulfill? It's to fill up. To fill up the word of God. Meaning it is complete. God isn't revealing anything else from heaven. Everything that he wants us to know is right in here. For us to study and receive and search and build that inner man. Uh, Peter even acknowledges this. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And notice in verse 16 through 21. Peter writes. Uh, and he's writing to... Uh, the twelve tribes of Israel, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when ye made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So what Peter is doing is he's recounting that transfiguration experience. When Peter, James, and John went with Peter on the mount and Jesus transfigured right before their eyes and there stood Moses and Elijah and they were talking, Peter is recalling this, saying, hey, we were eyewitnesses to this thing. But even, if, even after Peter saw this, what does Peter say in verse 19? He said, we also have a sure more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto the light that shineth in the dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Whoa, wait a second. Peter says, look, I saw Jesus transfigure on the mountain. But I'm, he's basically saying, look, but we have a more sure word of prophecy, knowing that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. He's saying, look, this thing is more sure than him eyewitnessing Jesus on the mount be transfigured. Think about that. That's how sure we know that we can trust in this book. And... Um, Man, if that's coming from the Apostle Peter, that's, that's got to say something. I don't know what else uh, I can say about that. Uh, so, what does that mean for us? He said, take heed. Well, Peter, Paul addresses this in 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul mentions taking heed unto the doctrine. Uh... But more importantly, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul tells the, uh, Timothy, Consider what I say, and the Lord will give thee understanding in all things. And in a few verses later, he tells Timothy, in verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly divine the word of truth. Paul tells Timothy, you need to study. You need to get in this word. You need to learn how to rightly divide it. And rightly dividing it is simply separating truth from truth. It is true that Christ commanded the twelve to go not into the way of the Gentiles, but rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's in the Bible. It's truth. It is also true that the Lord said, Paul, you are my chosen vessel whom I'm going to send unto the Gentiles. And it's by the will of God... It's by the commandment of God that I'm sending you, and I'm going to reveal unto you the revelation of the mystery of the gospel of Christ. How that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day, and you need to take this message to the world. That's what it means by rightly dividing the word of truth. It is true that Christ sent the twelve to go baptize, water baptism for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus Christ, so that people can receive the Holy Ghost. It's also true that Christ sent Paul not to baptize, but to the preach the gospel of Christ. So, uh, we've covered a lot of ground here um, with the spiritual gifts. I hope this has been encouraging and edifying, and I hope it clarifies some things. Uh, if you have any questions about it,
please uh, personal message me. I will do my best to uh, respond. Uh, but I think what we're going to be doing is transitioning into a new series that I'm really excited to go into, and it's titled Losing My Religion. And so that will be something that we'll be looking in the days to come, uh, in the weeks to come, I guess you'd say, uh, exposing these other Gospels out there. And I will tell you, I fell for every single one of them. And it wasn't until... I came to 2 Timothy 2.15 and the light bulb came on and I realized, oh my gosh, I am just like the Galatians. I had been bewitched into thinking that there's all these things that I could do uh, for my salvation and not realizing that it's just by the grace of God that I'm saved and just believing and trusting in Him for my salvation. That's what set me, that's what made me free. Uh, so there you go, Obed almost said set, because that's from me reading uh, the old, my NIV background. Anyways, uh, that's it for tonight. Thank you so much. Uh, I encourage you, go search these things out and verify whether or not they're truth. Have a great day.